Hey guys, and welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, Happy New Year to everybody who has uh, came to listen to me today. I know a lot of you will be recovering from the holidays, trying to get back into working mode um, post uh, Christmas uh, blues and, and, you know, trying to get your head back around and in in making stuff. Um, so hopefully this is a bit inspirational or something that will help you dive back into that mindset. Um, I hope you guys had some uh, productivity or some good positive aspects of last year, 2020. Um, I know the year is starting off, hopefully, uh, in some kind of positive mentality or some way that is going to make us feel a bit more adjusted to, to the world and the, the situation that we're all in. So again, I hope these episodes are keeping you sane, um, are helping you along with whatever you're going through just now, whether it's trying to finish a project or trying to start one. Um, and I, I do appreciate you all being here. So yeah, I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, again, today, uh, like, you know, the last couple of episodes, like every episode, you know, I try to bring uh, the best people to the table. Um, and I think, you know, that this one in particular, this episode I've got today has been not only a long time coming, but has also been, again, somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a while on the podcast and dive into their uh, understanding and knowledge of the concept art world and concept art production. Um, so today, um, if you guys could help welcome along uh, this uh, amazing artist and someone that I've wanted to talk to for a while, uh, Mr. Bobby Ribbles. Hey, Bobby, how's it going? Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, I didn't actually check before we started, but uh, your surname, did I, did I get anywhere close to the pronunciation it's supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. It's Rebholtz. Yeah. It, okay, I get, yeah. Uh, so I wasn't I too far off. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we were, we were just talking about when I interviewed Antonio and and uh, I never got his, his surname for so long. I was practicing and practicing. I was like, step arts, step arts, step arts. I was trying to get it like down for, you mm-hmm. know, because you speak to people all over the world. So it's like, you know, you're never sure like, you know, when you're, you know, Bobby's easy enough, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always the surnames that, that throw me. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's German. It's, it's pronounced Reb Holtz. So I either ah. get, I either get rebels or rebolts because people, oh, people yeah. like to put the T sound in between the L and the Z because they think it should right. be there. So I just let them do it. Right. It's like, whatever. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. 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 So you've got some, uh, you've got some roots on this side of the world. Then you've got some, uh, distant relatives that are uh that are yeah. over on the, the other side of the eu so that's yeah. it's always good of course yeah because cousins as always as we are when, with the eu in the in the us it's, it's mm-hmm. great um and I, again you know speaking of the us we were talking about this today in, in a small group about uh hopefully the 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 world is aligning and, and things are hopefully going back to some kind of normality and Ugh. um i think we're, we're all glad that your country is no longer on fire so <laughs> that we i uh i can't believe that happened that was we were just in awe of what was going on at yeah. that moment so yeah yeah i could imagine it's I've, i know a lot of people who are, are, are breathing sighs of relief all over the mm-hmm. states so oh yeah um it's, it's good that there's some kind of yeah, some just I think people were just getting sicky, just you know, coming home every day and thinking, Oh god, what now? But yeah, it's, it's just what yeah. just you can go you can go with their life now and just no worry about what's you know, the place is getting burnt to, to, to shreds. So <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, for people who don't know you, Bobby, um, which I'll be surprised if they don't, but uh for people who don't, uh could you introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Uh I'm Bobby Rebholtz. Um I've been a 
freelance concept artist for going on eight years now. Um, I my schooling was in industrial design, so that was back in uh, 2003 to 2007, and. Right. So I just should I just give the story of like my education and then where I went from there? We can. I mean, like, what, what's your kind of current position right now? What's what's your day to day that you're doing at the moment? Oh, I'm I'm uh, specializing in creatures and characters right now. Um, yeah, I've been working with uh, companies like Netflix and Sci Fi Channel um, and others I can't really name yet, but uh, right. it's. Is there anything that you worked on recently that you can talk about or? Um, Let's see. Yeah, it's a fun little project. So uh, I helped Geico and worked with a company called Free Range Visual Effects and their new commercial, which is a father and son turtle for their Geico motorhomes. I designed those turtles. Oh, okay, cool. It was a cute nice. little project. I usually draw demons, but <laughs> that was that was a, a fun <laughs> exit. <laughs> yeah, um, and you've done stuff like video games and films back in the day, right? Yeah, I've done stuff for uh, like I, I can name the film that I'm currently working on with Netflix. It's uh, Jacob and the Sea Beast, uh, co-dire- okay. co-director right. of Moana, uh, Chris Williams. Ah, he announced okay. this back in 2018, so I I worked right. with him cool. personally for some yeah. sketches. What was your your kind of biggest project to date? Is there anything you've kind of worked on in the last couple of years that's been like your your mecca? Your kind of like the biggest and best thing you've done so far, or um, well, yeah, I was literally just contacted for a project, but I, I can't say anything. It, it happened, oh, okay. right. It so happened right before Christmas and I was like, Oh, this is actually happening now. <laughs> so, and it's, uh, it's pretty big. So, um, yeah, but, but yeah. like, you know, before that it was, uh, I worked with, uh, the show face off. I did a lot of sketches for the cool. television show. Um, nice. so that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, you're also an instructor. You're a teacher as well, right? Yeah, I've been teaching for nine years now. I started in 2011. Um, Mm -hmm. It was for my alma mater, which is University of Cincinnati. Uh, The design program there was, it's just, it's top notch. And that's where I went to school. Mm -hmm. I was out in LA at the time, uh, 2010. And then when 2011 hit, I was like, uh, I was going to come back home. Didn't really really work out for me well there at first. And I I told uh, one of my old teachers, I was like, Hey, do you need help teaching some of the uh, transportation design? And they were like, yeah, come on board. And I taught full time with them for four years. And I've had experience teaching uh, for CGMA. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just signed on for sin studio. I do a spring course with them. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. I love it. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's that's the the pinnacle thing for a lot of artists, right? Is when you get to that point where you can start giving back to the community, where you can start, you know, sending the elevator back down and, and helping everybody else out. So, um, yeah, I'm getting to do that myself in some small measure. You know, I'm I'm talking to people who are like, you know, the very start of their career or the very beginning and want to know the the absolute basics so i can start to you know talk to them about you know portfolio and how to network and especially networking like a lot of people came in for for networking advice because that seems to be like my superpower at the moment is like you know um i know most people when i know you know how to try and get attention to different 
groups or studios. So um, I tend to feedback with that. But yeah, like, um, but yeah, we were talking about that earlier as well before we started talking about how um, your style, your drawings, that your artwork is something that's very recognizable from the outside. Like people do tend to look at stuff on art station and if they can see your creatures or drawings, it's like yeah, it's very apparent that it's your work so um it's always a thing i think people strive for it's like the conversation we have over and over again we shouldn't stray about style and people are always like oh, well how do you get it how do you what's the magic sauce that you know makes yeah. that happen um so yeah so i mean so for you because i know we talked about your sketching background and how that's something you're very heavily involved in but like was that something that you had very early on in your career like were you the kid in high school who drew on every book and every you know <laughs> packet of yeah yeah i i picked up a pencil when i was four years old and i yeah literally four i think it was my birthday and i just uh Mm -hmm. i just started drawing and um my cousin at the time was was babysitting me and my sister because my sister was two and i just started drawing on printer paper that she had in her closet and it was uh, I was drawing these little green army men that that my mom had brought one day out of a plastic bag, and then uh, my cousin brought um, a bag of little dinosaurs home. So that's when I became obsessed with dinosaurs when I was four, and I just started oh, wow. drawing them relentlessly. And then uh, what was a hobby became an obsession with me. Like I every single day, if I was sick. If I was um, asked to go play or something, I was drawing and um, mm-hmm. it just it catapulted into or snowballed into uh, my schoolwork. I would draw on homework, all my notebooks and yeah. creatures and just stuff and influences from movies like Predator and Aliens and you know, anything with a monster in it, basically. And uh, okay. I, I still to this day can't imagine not drawing. Like it's just it's part of me <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's definitely one of you're one of those people who like you know you probably know yourself like you get antsy like you know if you're not drawn or if you're without your sketchbook and a pencil for a while like you know you start to get the shakes like it's yeah. it's. i mean it's, it's something i think that i've always been envious of like i i want to be you know this kick-ass 2d artist who's making all these cool concept ideas and making art books but like you know the calling doesn't come to me. I mean, that might be also a mix of depression and, you know, anxiety and fear and stuff. But um, yeah, really, I think that's an envious thing that people wish they had. That was like that calling of like, you know, you always want to draw. Is it something you felt like really early on? Like it was just, you know, how do you feel? How would you describe that? Is it just something like, it's like almost like a nervous twitch if you don't draw for periods of time? Yeah, it was like, a, it was just a, a never ending thought in my brain no matter what I was doing, because I was an active kid. Like I, I played football with friends. I loved being outside. I was, I was biking everywhere, playing in the woods, climbing trees. But at the end of the day, man, I was just like, where's my paper? Like I just, I needed to draw. And, um, I think part of the reason was because I saw progress and I knew that if I just kept going, that, one, I, I didn't have a, a, a real goal in mind when I was growing up. Like I just knew that I wanted to draw for movies. That's what I wanted to do. 
I was a huge right. gamer. I love video games. I love movies, but I would just watch movies over and over and over again. I had creatures like American Werewolf in London and Predator right. when that came out, Aliens, Howard the Duck, mm -hmm. like all those movies. Uh, by the time I was eight, I saw every rated R film that you could think of that had monsters in it. And my parents didn't care because they knew I wasn't drawing the violence. I was drawing the creatures in there and, and, the, right. and um, it, it was an obsession. Just, I had to go to Walgreens and get sketchbooks and pencils. I had to. <laughs> yeah. Back before there was probably specialized art stores where you could get, you know, the fancy, you know, sketchbooks. Yeah. yeah. I, I, would, stuff like I that. remember being like eight and nine and 10 years old and be like, can I go to, to super X, which was, you know, CVS back then, but, uh, right. Can I can I go to Walgreens and can we get a sketch pad in the art section? <laughs> like it's like yes, yes, son, come on. <laughs> so I mean that's that's crazy to think as well though that you had such clarity at such a young age, right? That's almost something people are super envious of. Of like you knew what you wanted to do, yeah, so early on in your career. I mean, like before you had a career, you know, like so. For people I know, one of the common things I get from students is like. And it's me as well. I mean, I've suffered from this the last couple of years. Is like, where do you want to focus your attention? Like, you know, do you want to do environments? Do you want to do people? Do you want to do creatures? Do you want to do 2D, 3D, VFX, real time? You know, like, there's just so many options now, right? It is almost oh, you want to difficult do it all. To yeah. Yeah. Def I mean, because if you love the creative process, you just love any form that takes, you know, yeah. whether it's on pen and pencil or on the computer. So, yeah, but then I take it pencil-led paper, was that just speaking to you more than anything else? It was definitely speaking to me, yeah, because it was it was so therapeutic for me, and it still is. Um, it, it's my my outlet, and I mean, I every human being has an outlet that they need to do. You know, if it's aggression, if it's uh, just something to release emotion. Um, it was, it was either right. playing video games or drawing. And, you know, sometimes I would just play Halo for hours and I've been playing Halo for 20 years now and it's, and yeah. then I, I turn it off well, and then I draw for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I was going to say that, have you found, cause you have a family now, you have a, a wife and stuff. Is that, are games still a big part of your life right now? Uh, they've taken a backseat for now. I mean, I'm. I'm sitting at my desk looking to the left and my Xbox is hooked up. I right. bought I bought the new gears and uh Doom Eternal and I have not played either. And I feel right. awful. I feel absolutely awful. Um I did yeah. play Halo two weeks ago, but I mean we're we're talking like I I used to play games well, Halo. I used to play that from eleven PM to about three AM every night. And <laughs> every night. And it's just, yeah, it's just getting to the point where now that you have a family, you start to look at your work differently. And of course. Yeah. You've got to try and take some time for, for them and for your work. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. They come first. Adult. And I think they call it. Yeah. That's, that's the, the key phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Adulting. Oh gosh. <laughs> yes, indeed. No, I was, I was, I was very pleased that uh, the Master Chief collection came back on APC and, 
I've been diving through uh, a couple of those games and, and you know like ODST and three and stuff like some of the ones that I remember playing way back. In fact, you know the one of the the key reasons I wanted to leave my job at twenty eight um, was not only watching the God of War documentary, God of War three, but also mm-hmm. the Halo three documentary that came on the, the game disc. You know you could watch the kind of behind the scenes, the making of, yeah, and uh, watching what <clears throat> those guys make art for games because it's always the key it's something people say in my, my podcast all the time oh, i never knew people got paid to do this i never knew people yeah got paid money to make master chief armor or, or draw warthogs you know like um so yes that's that was one of the the main docs that like got me started on i'm wanting to leave um so yeah those games also hold a kind of special place in my heart i definitely I remember being online midnight release for halo 3 that was that's still a memory that i hold so yeah buying my dog tags and stuff so oh yeah going to gamestop at eleven fifty nine at night waiting for midnight and then you get the game yep. yeah oh yeah Fuck those, those were the good yeah, ones was... especially halo 2 yeah when halo 2 hit yeah. i freaked out freaked oh out. yeah on the original xbox yeah the OG. original xbox oh, my God. and then the cheaters came. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then i think it's important as well though right because that for a lot of people, that's like uh, a reference of inspiration. Like that's something that will keep you fueled. I mean, a lot of people think that you have to cut that stuff out of your life when you begin a creative career. But like if the reason you got into creative pursuits was games or movies, if you cut those off, it is cutting a lifeline to your brain that would feed it with ideas. Um, I mean, I know especially like the Arbiter, especially in Halo, a lot of the guys, they drew and designed for that and the, was it the grunts, the the the, mm-hmm. the bigger guys, the, the like them as well? Like you know, somebody had to design them, and I think a lot of those designs have been replicated in other enemy types along the years. But uh, but yeah, like a lot of that stuff will inspire you, um, or, or feed your brain with new ideas, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and it not only that, it just yeah. it kept your mind sharp. I mean, that that's why first person shooters are are my choice of gaming because it's. Uh, having that reticle in front and just trying to aim just really um just exciting you know and it gets your adrenaline pumping and i'm not a violent person either but it's just fun on <laughs> you know when you're playing doom yeah, you... I've started, <laughs> yeah i've started to question my motives when i got into vr especially because uh i'm actually an oculus quest at, at christmas and uh yeah, some of the the more violent first person kind of fighting games and stuff like that. You know, I'm I'm on the ground like pounding people's face into a pavement until there's nothing left but a bloody mess, and it's like <laughs> I'm getting up and like, is there something wrong with me? What's going on here? But then it's usually yeah. just me taking out stress, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, so so I mean, like you know, you've got a long legacy of playing games and drawing. This was like your whole basis. You've done it all through high school. Now, your education wise, you know. Were you college level educated? Did you go to university or anything like that? Or I did, I did, and it was this was before the whole. There's been like a revolution where, oh yeah, like don't go to art school anymore because tuition and then like it's true you can learn everything you need to know about art online now. But the problem was, I started college in 1999. They did, I mean, YouTube wasn't around, and right you know, the term concept artist wasn't nearly as broad as it is now. And I was, I was ignorant. I was just a kid. I was 19 years old and um, Mm -hmm. I was in Cincinnati. That's where I'm born and raised and college of DAP, which is design, architecture, art and planning happened to be in Cincinnati. It was the number one ID school 
in the world. Art Center was two. They always fought for the number one, number two spot. And right. I was like, well, it's in my city. It's a university, so it's not as expensive as a private school. Heck, I'm just going to go there. So that's what I did. And um, I have a bachelor's in industrial design, BS mm -hmm. in design. Um, right. And then I knew while I was in school that I was not going to be an industrial designer for the rest of my life. However, right. the experiences that I got while being in school were, it made it worth it. I did not care about tuition because I knew I was going to be happy after graduating. And right. I, um, so I had like six internships, which was a requirement, gave me a year and a half experience. I did work as an industrial designer in, in two firms after I graduated in 07. I, I didn't start at DAP until 2003. But right. after that, I, I knew that I just, I loved concept art more, but my stuff sucked so bad. Uh, <clears throat> my, my people just looked weird. Uh, my environments were puke. <laughs> like it was just not good, but I could draw monsters, man. I could draw monsters, but I knew gaming companies didn't only want to see monsters. So I, my portfolio was a hodgepodge of industrial design and concept art. So at the time I didn't realize it, but now looking back, it was like, if I was a hiring manager, I wouldn't know what to hire me for. I don't know what this kid was good right. at. He's just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And uh, there was no direction. So I got laid off from my first ID job and that was in 2008 during the crash. And right. it was just an awful time to get, cause I graduated in uh, June of 2007. I had several interviews, uh, DeWalt, Mattel, like they were just really cool interviews. Um, and then I did some freelance work, uh, had more interviews with, uh, was it Under Armour? Um, the funny story of getting, you know, wanting to get a game job out of college. I, mm -hmm. I <laughs> was, I had no shame in my emails. Like there is an, an art form when you write an email mm -hmm. to a company wanting to work there. So I, uh, I remember emailing, I think it was NCSoft and there was in Florida or something. And I did an art test for them as an environment. Right. I didn't hear anything back. So I, I kind of knew I failed it, <laughs> but uh, that was in fall of 07. So I, I was getting kind of worried because most of my friends had a job already. And right. since we interned at six different places, I went back to Hasbro a second time and then another place called priority design. So that's essentially what you want to do when you intern, you want to get asked back. Usually, if you get asked back, they would want to work with you after you graduate. Well, I didn't really send my stuff into any of those places. So I was kind of in a in a weird spot, like this gray area. So I was at my mom's house, you know, living there. And I was not really embarrassed yet. And I, yeah. I, uh, I sent my stuff out. I was getting contacted, um, unsolicited, too. Like, there was a, a company... It was about 45 minutes away from me that designed urns for funerals. And I was like, right. wow, that, that would be an odd job, but they paid pretty well. <laughs> I didn't yeah. get it. It's kind of blessing in disguise. Um, 
I, uh, let's see. And then, oh yeah. And then I had the interview at Mattel in December of 2007. They flew me out there, stayed in a hotel. Um, mm -hmm. didn't get the job, but the guy gave me his business card and said, Hey, please stay in contact. So I did. Uh, they just weren't hiring the next year. And then when spring hit of 2008, uh, at the beginning, well, January, 2008, I, I contacted a gaming company in Chicago and I, I was just like, literally word for word. I really want to work there. Your stuff is great. That was it. There was no hello. There was no deer. There was no signing. <laughs> and they contacted me back and they were like, uh, thank you for, um, you know, thank you for your message. Uh, we're not hiring right now, but we'll keep your stuff on file. And whenever they say they'll keep your stuff on file, that means they'll never look at it again. So I, kind of, I kind of <laughs> knew that. And I, um, I messaged them again, like five months later, it was May. Cause I was, you know, I was getting kind of worried. I didn't have a job. I was like, do I suck? Like, did I, did I major in the wrong thing? I was just, yeah. I was so confused. And um, I was contacted by uh, an industrial design firm, uh, Indiana Mills and Manufacturing, and that was in Indianapolis. And they messaged me on Coraflot, which at the time was a, a really popular website for industrial design, graphic design, architecture, and fashion. And they, he really liked my sketches and he wanted to interview me. And I was like, oh this is awesome. I have an interview. So I told my mom, she was really excited and, and somewhere where I didn't have to fly, I could drive. And I went out and interviewed and, uh, interview went really well. And then, uh, the hiring manager called, uh, called me, no, emailed me the next week and was like, Hey, uh, can you No, this was in June. Sorry. And then the beginning of July, they're like, can you, uh, come out here and work on site for a week. And I was like, Oh man, this is, this is mine to fail. Like I, if I do a good job, this is my job. So I drove, I drove out there and I worked on site for five days. They paid for the hotel. It was down the road. And then the fifth day, which was a Friday, pulled me into the office and said, uh, you got the job. Like, do you accept it? And I was like, yes. I didn't hesitate. I just said yes. And I felt really proud. And I was like, yes, this is great. I'm not, I'm not one of my classmates that didn't have a career anymore. <laughs> like I was just freaking out, man. And um, so that was great. And, and I was going to start in August. When I got back home, I read an email from the video game company. And they were like, hey, do you want to come up for an interview? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, and that's what happens. And you're waiting for one to come along and then here come yeah, all the offers. Yeah. One and, time. and now that I'm older and more mature about the whole situation of being hired and, and looking for jobs, I didn't know at the time what I should have done. What I should have done was like, yes, I will come up for an interview because you, you don't right. owe anybody anything. And yeah. uh, I, the thing is like, I did sign the contract. Uh, to work right. with the, the ID firm. However, you can back out of any contract you want. You don't owe anybody right. anything. And yeah. um, so I told the company, I was like, look, I'm sorry. I, I got a, 
I accepted a position to thank you so much. And they just wished me luck. And yeah. that was that. So I was like, was that my window? Was that my window? in? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And it, it, it loomed yeah. over my head because in the fall of 2008, guess what happened? The stock market crashed. I was laid off. In uh, November. Right. I was laid off in November. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So yeah. it was just, it was bad. It was, it was really bad. Yeah. So that was the story. So, I, mean, you've, of you've, I mean, you've kind of went, I mean, you've been freelance for so long, right? Like it's, 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 it's second nature. I mean, I feel like, especially when it comes to this industry, there's definitely like almost, well, not a 50, 50 split, but there's a definite split between people who want to work for themselves and people who want to work in a studio. Yeah. And like, you've definitely went the route, obviously of your own independent. Has that been a necessity for, you were just going to take in whatever work came at the time or because you had a family or because you didn't want to really like relocate a lot of times. Where did that kind of come from initially? Well, at, at the time that it happened, um, you know, I, I didn't have a family and I was, I went out to LA in 2010 uh, and worked at a company there. I was designing um, trophies and an, award components. And it was like, this is industrial design. This is cool. This is what I went to school for. However, I, I still wasn't happy. And, um, in the beginning of 2011, I decided to move back home, uh, and start. And I was, I didn't want to come back home and not have a job. Like I was just, right. I wasn't feeling mentally defeated, but at the same mm -hmm. time I was kind of disappointed because I thought, you know, I graduated three years ago and I still wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And, uh, I realized that everybody's journey is different. So you're not going to get some people, some people get that dream job right out of the gate. Some people have to wait 20 years. It's just, right. you just have to have patience. But anyway, um, I was open to anything. I didn't care if I had to move uprooting did not bother me at the slightest. And I, right. I moved, I moved back home and I, I started teaching at university of Cincinnati and it really helped ground me. And I think, I think I hit a bit of a maturity milestone there because I, I scored the gig, uh, with the face off, you know, the post-production manager contacted me. Um, I sent my stuff into them cause I saw it on conceptart.org before it went under. And I, um, you know, I, they, they literally emailed me the same day, which was unheard of. Cause in the freelance world, you gotta have patience, man. You got, you gotta have patience up to waiting for weeks or even months to hear anything back. And yeah. not only did they message me back, they, uh, they said, Oh, cool. Can we call you tonight? I was like, Oh uh, yes. My schedule is immediately cleared. And then I, I started, I started that. And then I realized, you know, I could, I could do this freelancing thing. Um, pay was pretty good. And, and I said, I was still a little green uh, about the whole freelancing world just because I was new to it. And then uh, right. it just, it just takes experience. I didn't have a lot of followers at all. This was back in 2014 and yeah. I didn't have followers. I didn't realize the importance of it. Uh, I didn't realize the importance of winning, knowing how to say no uh, when somebody tries to lowball you. Uh, knowing how much to charge for your work, which is 
nobody can ever give you a straight answer for that. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, your bills are different back then when you're single versus when you have children. And yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. I was Go going to, I was going to say, I mean, like we talked about this as well, kind of previously, but like, you know, the charging rate as well. I mean, how were you kind of navigating that initially? And has that changed significantly, you know, what you're doing now with your work? Yeah. Like how much I charge. Yeah, it definitely has. Yeah. Um, I, I know now that I try to view it as how much do I need to get paid full time per year salary? And then I just break that down right. into my freelance work. So how much would that be hourly? But I've learned the hard way that you should just charge by the day because you, you know, you don't have your health insurance paid by the company. You don't, you know, you got to pay your own overhead. You got children, you got food, you have the lights that need right. to be on, the electricity. And if they say, no, it's too much, then walk away. It's, it's easier said than done. Like I, I'm 40 years old. You know, if, if I was 25 and somebody were like, well, we can't pay you $500 today, uh, but we can pay you 200. be like, yeah, sure. Because <laughs> yeah. it's money. You know, it's money. It's, but now, yeah. now you know that uh, to stand up for yourself, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely comes with, I mean, people can kind of throw this in your face all day and say like, oh, you know, you should have known better. Or, you know, you really should be charging this. But the problem is with most of these companies, especially when we talk about maybe like, you know, entertainment wise, we like games and movies, you know, they, the studios that is, really do hold all the power. So, I mean, like you said, you know, if you're young and you're starting out and you don't have experience or you don't, you haven't worked in projects, you can't really, you know, be sitting there holding all the cards saying, well, oh, I'm not going to work for this. I really should, you know, you've got to just take, I mean, there's people I know, like they say, they work for free for some people just because they want the experience. They didn't care if, I mean, like when I interned at a lot of studios before I left university, I was just happy to be there, right? I was just happy to yeah. stand behind the scenes and watch how they were, you know, I got to sit and watch people build stuff in Destiny 2 before it was shipped and stuff in League of Legends. Like, you know, that stuff that, you know, not everybody can do or, or get yeah. the opportunity to see. So you're not sitting saying, oh, well, you know, well, I'll, I'll come back if you pay me X, Y, Z. You're just like, well, I just want to be here. Can can I do that without getting paid? That's fine. I'll just come every day and, you know, pay my own way and won't care about what happens to me. Um, yeah. But it's, it's difficult. It is difficult. So It is. Yeah. It's difficult because it's like if you're a freelancer and you got to pay rent and, you know, just to throw a number out there, let's say, let's say your rent is um, – 350 a month if you live in a cheap apartment and you charge yeah so like hey you know we need one day's worth of work i'm like all right i charge 400 a day so 400 would cover your rent you know yeah and yeah if the company comes back and says well we can only afford to pay you um 250 so what do you do mm -hmm. okay do you tell them no and you don't have anything or do you take the pay mm -hmm. cut you get 250 bucks and still are responsible for finding that extra hundred to pay rent. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's not that the company thinks you're not worth it. It's just literally that's their budget. And, and the other thing I've learned is if they don't give you the number for their budget, then you shouldn't work for them because it, you have the right to know that. And it's, um, that's, yeah. an, that's another 
fine line to walk. It's <laughs> that's a difficult one as well because you'll see, I mean you'll you'll see people like oh what's your budget for concept and they're like ah oh, well and they start like humming and hawing you're kind of like oh god right okay yeah. fair enough yeah. I mean, what, do you, what do you know want to pay me you want me to work for free basically it's like <laughs> yeah but then you'll get exposure you know when the game launches and you're like oh god no so you know it's it's I mean if you're dealing with big companies obviously it's whatever but then of course the initial thing that people will have as students is like you're dealing with companies that are small or starting up or haven't really dealt with freelancers a lot so they don't have a back and forth you, you know because most big companies have like specialized departments that yeah. deal with freelancers whereas you know that's how you get art outsourcing managers like the guys who deal with the outside clients but then if it's a small company and it's like three people then they don't know how to talk to artists or what they should be charging or what they should be paying so they're obviously trying to also get the best bang for their buck and be like oh well can we pay you like three hundred dollars and you can work for us for a whole month and you're like oh god no, like, no. You know, it's like no. there's such a, a thing where you've got and but then there's people who know that right there's people who who don't actually realize that's a bad deal there's people who be like oh three hundred dollars for the whole month that's incredible fantastic and i get to work yeah. on a game oh yeah true yeah and they're taking advantage yeah. of so, i mean but then, but then how do you avoid those 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 instances then if you're starting out like what are the kind of the things like how do you look for good work you know freelance work where you know you're not having to deal with you know idiot clients or, or people that are trying to constantly lowball you is there any kind of tips that you would give people or uh yeah i mean there's when you're just starting out it's almost like trial and error like you don't know you just have to learn the hard way on what dealing with some of these clients because some of the clients are are not good. Some of them won't pay you at all. And some of them are very, very good. Like they'll even pay you up front. Those are the kinds you want. And, uh, yeah. some tips would be if, if they don't have a contract, um, then you either ask for one, if they still can't give you one, don't work with them. Just don't do it. Right. Because if they yeah. can't, if they can't do something as simple as give you a contract, why, you know, what, why don't they want to go into a, a contract with you? Um, yeah. Another tip I would say is don't ever lowball yourself because you think you're not good enough. Because what they'll do, they'll they'll fish that out, like they'll sniff that out, and yeah, and they will they will they will accept a number that's lower than what you give them. Um, yeah, if you if you give them a price quote that's really low and they agree immediately, then you probably mm. charge too little. If it takes some time to think about, then you did it right. So yeah, you always want to kind of like aim pretty high, right? Because then, like you said, the counter offer could be lower, but still within a range of yeah. money that is acceptable. You know that you, you could work for. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's tricky, right? I mean, like apart from obviously what we were discussing here, I would definitely advise people to go check out. Uh, Emmanuel and Jan's podcast that's called the art department podcast they've done a whole episode on yeah. breaking down your finances like by day you know hourly rate and what and depending on what you know if it's games or movies what you should yeah. be charging per day they've done a really good episode for that so go check that out um but yeah like it is it's such a it's something people don't really talk about and I think it's mostly because of the whole human nature of people don't like talking about money right it's like yeah a taboo thing like like oh how much are you making per day people don't want to share that information right they feel 
dirty almost, you know, because they've got to, oh, you know, I'm, I yeah, make 500 it's, a day. It's, uh, it makes yeah. you self-conscious about what you earn. And it also, it makes you really aware if you're giving out the wrong numbers to everybody. And it's, you don't yeah. want to be responsible for that. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult, I think, also because you don't want to seem like a pompous asshole if you're like, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm getting fifteen hundred dollars a day and people are like, Oh fuck, well fair enough then. I'm not getting anywhere near that. But uh, but but then it's it is a thing you should be t- talking about openly because, you know, there might be two people I've seen this at an event where there's two people on the same kind of level art art wise and you know, pitching for the same kind of clients and he's like, Oh, you know, I'm on like, for instance, like, you know, three hundred a day and he was like, oh, I'm only charging 150 a day. And he was like, why? You know, you, you, you're more than capable of, of getting 300 a day. But then the same company will pay two different artists at the same level different amounts because it's all in the negotiation, right? There's no flat rate, especially for freelancers. Like, there's no set dial. So if you aren't pitching for what you're worth, then companies will just no pay it and be happy to. They're like, oh, you only want 150 a day and no 300. Cool, that's fine with us. Um so yeah, that's that's. I mean, I get with some companies. Obviously, they want to save money or or get the best bang for their buck. But it is kind of dodgy in a way that like you're going to have two AAA artists working for you, but they're both at different rates. Like it does seem kind of yeah. underhanded in a way. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, if you work for cheaper money, um, the word gets around because it's referrals, and it's like, hey, work with this guy; he's cheaper. Work with this girl; she's cheaper. And right. you're, you're known throughout the industry as the cheap artist. So if, if you could be making yeah. 600 a day, but instead you're only charging 200 and you do two days worth of work, I mean, you just missed out on what, like 800 bucks. It's like, yeah, I mean, and, and it adds up, it adds up. So, yeah, it does. I mean, and it's difficult because like you said, you don't want to, you don't want to turn, you know, like for instance, throwing a name out there, say Sony came knocking at your door, Sony Pictures for a film or something like that. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, I mean, it's a big project, but we can only pay you, you know, half of what you usually get for your daily rate. It's hard to then be like, oh, well, fuck you, Sony. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to take your job because you're not paying me my rate. Like, of course you're going to be like, oh, well, that's fine because I get to work on the next Spider-Man movie or whatever it's going to be. Um you know, you didn't want to be the guy who turned down that opportunity. Um, but I think it's like you said, it is a thing that just comes with time and experience. And I think the quicker you can get that experience or the younger you can get that experience, then, you know, you start to then obviously avoid yeah. as you go forward. Yeah. It's like, it's like no matter how many tips that we can give freelancers that are starting out, you have to experience firsthand the client that doesn't pay the super delayed yeah. client, the client that yeah. lowballs you, the client that pays you super well and makes you happy. So then you have that ex- you have that knowledge of what you feel like and what you should do, and then your brain changes the way you think about art and what you do. Um, yeah, you know, and artists like we're stubborn people anyway. We don't listen to anybody. Yeah. We don't listen until we absolutely yeah. have to. <laughs> you know, it's, Keep yeah, doing the same thing over and over. A, you've got a good handle on things, and you've got a good idea about you know what you should be charging and what you should be doing. But then, of course, you hear an over a conversation with two other people, and you're like, "You're charging what?" And you go work yeah. for what company? And how the fuck did you do that? And it's, it is a thing where because people, you know, especially 
you know, freelance artists, you're dealing with stuff on your own and your own computer and your own bedroom away from everybody else. You're not talking to people every day. So you're thinking, oh, you know, I got a hundred a day for this person, for this project. And then somebody, you know, you're at an event and somebody's like, oh, you know, you really should have been charging 300 a day. And you're like, oh shit, like I missed out in like twice as much money because I didn't understand it. But then that's good, obviously, why you not only have people like yourself who are instructors, but then you have people who, you know, or people who hold events around the world where, you know, they're now having whole talks on freelancing and, you know, how much you should be charging and what you should be looking for in your first couple of contracts. So, yeah, like that's good that that's now happening, but yeah, it's, it's took a while for us to get to this point. But then it's like you said, you know, when you were at school or you were kind of starting out, there was no real community. I mean, now you've got, there's a discord you know every single artist in the world can have a discord you know there's online communities pop up every single day Mm -hmm. but even when i left my job in 2012 art station wasn't even a thing like art station hadn't been invented yet so like you know that's how short a span of time it has been for you know no concept artist to like a million concept artists you know what i mean like it's it's almost not really popped up overnight, but it's, you know, it is quite a recent thing, concept design. It is a very recent job. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing I would talk about as well, uh, when we're on the subject of, you know, freelancing and and getting yourself out there is the thing we kind of wanted to discuss as well, apart from pay was the specialization aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Was doing one thing and doing it really well and getting paid to do that. So for you, obviously, you know, it's been creatures, that's been your calling card, that's been something that people have picked up and and hired you for. That also will help with the negotiations, right? Because if you're leading the field in one particular thing, that will also give you, uh, what's the word, negotiation or bragging rights. You know, you'll have a, a higher echelon of negotiation because, you know, you know, they're coming to you for a reason, right? They're coming to you because you do one thing and you do it well. So that then puts you in a position of power. So was that a thing out of necessity as well? Did you feel like that was going to give you more bargaining chips or was that just a thing you naturally went towards because you love creatures? Yeah. It, well, when I first started freelancing, I I wanted to do all the things, uh, creatures and right. characters and props and stuff. And, and I... Right. I had to sit back and say like, okay, what is my number one love? What do I go to all the time? And it's creatures. Mm. And yeah, when I started to study how creatures were designed versus how well they looked, it started opening mm. my mind up to different things because like my, it, when I tried to get uh, jobs and games before, when I first got out of college, I was worrying too much about, how well I drew versus what I was drawing. And there's a big difference in that. Um, Because you can, you could be technically good. Uh, A lot of people are technically good. And there's also people that have 15, 20 years experience in the game industry that can't draw well. However, their ideas are phenomenal. They're just stellar thinkers. And, and I, I realized, okay, well, how can I incorporate that? into my creatures to things that nobody's ever seen before, because, you know, I, I tend to lean on the creepy side when I draw 
stuff. Right. Like the alien esque. Yeah. And it's just my influences. You know, I saw aliens when I was eight. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> um, and I, I, I realized that, okay, Bobby, you need to stop worrying about environments as much. Stop worrying about vehicles and props and armor and male and female characters and elves and fan art and all that stuff and just focus on what you love to do. And I did. And once I started getting better at that, that's when I started to get contacted by clients. Um, right. I mean, the, a recruiter from Netflix found me off ArtStation. I didn't contact them at all. Never had any intention to. Uh, all right. And then it just happened. So I thought, oh, that actually works. And then, you know, other other companies like Games Workshop and and people people take notice on what you love to do and they'll see it in your work. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just one of those things when you naturally fall into something that you're enjoying. I mean, I know one of the guys or the, the guests we've had on this podcast before, Henry Wong, you know, he, when he left Opaz Arts, started doing this daily thing where he would draw a background every day, um, mostly because he just loved backgrounds and he wanted to, you know, you know, have something that would also challenge him every day. But then the amount of work he has got from just doing that, like, you know, he's a background artist on most things now because, you know, you know, that's also why Netflix approached him the same reason, because they saw that uh the challenge he was doing and the thing he was creating every day and thought, well, you know, could he do that for us? And then they contacted him. So I mean like yeah, like I mean it was even a thing where way back in the day, I think this was twenty seventeen, um, I started doing the the Hearthstone challenge where I took one card every day and I copied it or studied it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that also helped my eye, you know, in, in painting and drawing that stuff. But also it got the attention of a lot of guys at Blizzard and uh, they were noticing that I was doing it and a couple of guys were reaching out to me and saying, hey man, that's really cool that you're doing that and I'm, I've been digging you doing the, the studies every day and it's it's been pretty cool to see, you know, you're keeping it, you know, the momentum going. So I think it's like... I, I kind of feedback feeds back into the like the whole power of personal projects thing, right? Like you know, yeah. if you go out of your way to do something pretty extraordinary, people will take notice of it um, because it is such a small industry in general. Like we feel like it is isn't sometimes, but it is. It's like you know, between ArtStation and Facebook and a couple other social media sites, if you're posting that stuff pretty regularly, then people will stick, start to take notice. Yeah, yeah, and it and then the whole personal project thing is super important because it's you you show that you can follow your own projects for once like take off on something that you really love to do and also uh your dedication so you know a hiring hiring manager when they bring artists on board to the team Mm -hmm. they want to know that you can hit the ground running and and they can give you work and they don't have to hold your hand you could just go like in the first couple days just go and they trust you yeah. because in your portfolio, you have these beautiful personal projects where you, you, know, you did the thumbnails and then you did the refinement sketches and then you did the stories behind the characters. You did some weapons and some production paintings. So they feel better and it's uh, yeah. you know, just, it really pays off. Yeah. yeah I mean, even the, the thing where people will, you know, we'll say stuff like, I want to work for Blizzard. And I'm like, cool, just make sure when people open your portfolio, it looks like you already work at Blizzard. Like, um, I think the best, yeah. Like I think the best advice I ever was given was that, um, it was IMAG in Paris in 2018. And it was a guy there who I think he was ex Pixar. 
or, or ex-Disney. And he basically said, the best advice I can give you guys is work every day like you already have the job. You know, like, yes, yes. don't wait for people to, to hire you to do stuff. Like, get up every morning, sit down at your desk at 9 o'clock and work till 5 like you already are employed. And that will quickly, quickly change to yes. you being actually employed with somebody. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like sometimes the most obvious stuff, but it is crazily, you know, stuff that people will uh, will not really pay attention to or not really realize on their own until somebody tells them it. But um, I was kind of like at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, like that makes a lot of sense. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if you're working every day, like you already have a job at Disney, then eventually Disney will be like, you should really hire this guy. <laughs> you know, like he's, yeah. he's already doing the job. Like you just need to pay him. Um, and yeah, like the results will, will definitely show for themselves. And um, I think that was the same with your stuff, right? You were, you were producing a lot of your stuff, you know, without people coming to you, you were just making that stuff because you loved it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. I, I started realizing that uh, my portfolio, it wasn't game oriented and it, it was more on the film side. And I, I wanted to get a job in games so, so much. Um, mm. And then as soon as I shifted my art to make it look like it belonged in a game, then I was contacted mm. by right. people in the gaming industry. So it's like, it's just, it's just being naive and it's just being ignorant and stubborn and you have to get over yourself in order to grow. And you have to take that criticism. You have to ask a professional to look at your work before you send it out. You have to, because you yeah. can't judge your own work. No matter how good you think you are, you can't judge it. So, I, I mean, a hundred percent, I know what you're saying, but there's, there's definitely like, a self-awareness thing you can do which i done ages ago where you know you can get a piece of your latest artwork or what you f- feel is like your best artwork you know yeah. for instance if you want to work for blizzard using them as an example you put the piece of artwork that you made in the middle and then you surround it by uh pieces of artwork that you know are from blizzard artists yeah. and then you look at those other you know three four five six seven those other eight pieces you're one in the middle and then you try to see well how close am i <laughs> yes you know does, does my stuff does my stuff blend does it stick out how far am i from where i should be so you know if you're doing that then like yeah of course that's a good barometer of how far away am i from getting work you know like how close am i to getting hired and yeah you know I've, i know myself when i've done a, a piece recently and i tried to do stuff for for hearthstone I would look at it and be like, cool, that's pretty decent, but it's no close to what I need to be able to do. So, you know, back to the drawing board. But then you've got to have that self-realization. And I think that's why a lot of people either peak or get to that point where, you know, they're just about to get a job or they're just about to cross that threshold and they're working, but they give up because they don't really have a barometer for like, how good should this be? Like how close am I? And that's why sitting in an art station every day or going to talks or watching YouTube demos and be like, what are these guys saying? What's their quality of work like? That's the stuff that then will inform you how far you are away from getting work. Yeah, that's exactly right. And to piggyback on that, uh, if you're the artist sending your stuff out to these companies, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the hiring managers and HR departments because they get hundreds of portfolios a day and they, 
it takes literally 10 to 15 seconds to know somebody's going to be good enough. And it, it doesn't matter if you have yeah. 30 pages, they're not going to want to look at it. You got to hit them hard with that first image. And if that first image yes. looks like the stuff being produced currently at that company, then you might be put yeah. in the yes pile. And it's like, just, yes. just put yourself in their shoes for a second and, and, and ask yourself, okay, well, I have five people on my design team. Is this person good enough to hang with these five people? Because if I need them to do a project alone, will it be good enough to send off to the 3D department and et cetera? And, uh, and you want to inspire everybody there. Well, if your stuff isn't as good as the people already working there, why would they hire you? And it's, it's harsh, but it's yeah. true. Um, now, you don't have to be exactly as good. Like, no, but mm. they're, they're not going to pay you a salary to train you. They're going to pay you a salary to, to hit the ground running and to produce work on the same level as the rest of the team. Um, right. So that it's the company can run as a well-oiled machine. And it's just the better yes. you are, the faster that will happen. Because like it, when you're hired and they bring you in house, they usually have you on a project within the first two days. Um, it's yeah. the way it is. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also just a, a thing where, you know, People always get upset with they're saying, well, you know, if my stuff isn't look like Blizzard. But then if you're hitting, like, say, you're 80% away from, or you're at the 80% mark for getting, you know, like 100% is working for Blizzard, and you're hitting 80%, you'll probably get work from companies like Blizzard, right? There'll be small indie devs who are making mobile games or other versions of games that are similar to the style of, you know, Hearthstone or, or World of Warcraft. So, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, you don't have to be the best person in the world to get yeah. that work right you have to just be a standard like a just a, a threshold that is enough to be good enough to get paid to work so like i says if if you're first because a lot of people are like oh you know straight out of university i want to work for blizzard and it's like well unless you're super talented that's maybe not going to happen but like you know if you're still really good yeah there might be a, a mobile company or a smaller dev in la that also makes stuff like blizzard and want people who you know are hitting that mark so you know, don't feel defeated if like your first offer isn't from Blizzard. Like, you know, it's probably going to be, you know, there's guys, you know, if you're lucky and you work really hard and you're one of the unicorns in the industry who gets work at like, you know, 20 and stuff like that, fair enough. But for a lot of people, you know, they're, they're crossing the threshold of Blizzard when they're in their 40s, you know, because, you know, they've, they've worked for years and years to build a, a reputation. And then, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Make, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's I think as well, it's just one of these things where, it's it's easy to get disheartened in this industry because there's so many hurdles there's so many blockages or so many people that you know get in the way or recruiters that'll look at your stuff and say ah it's good but no quite good enough and you kind of get like oh fuck well fair enough but like it is it's just a persistence thing right it just takes people you know some guys i know who've been painting for 15 years and they just got their first magic card like it, it it's it's not something that happens overnight it does take a long long time so yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. A, and a lot of times yeah. it's, uh, I know it's so, it's such a cliche thing to say, but it's who, yeah. you know, it's who, you know, um, I, yeah, I've heard some crazy stories at GDC on how people were hired and, and you're just like, man, yeah. I, I could have done that. I could have been at that coffee shop when the, <laughs> the, the freaking senior artist was sitting there eating a sandwich. Be like, Hey, you want to work there? Yeah, yeah. sure. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, yeah. 
and it's disheartening, you know, because you've been putting in all those years worth of work, but your time yeah. will come. So if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. just know that your time will come. Just don't give up. Um, throw out the idea that artists cannot make money because they can. Right. So it's just, yes. it's just a stupid stigma. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's why like I've, you know, I've kind of, I've I've had the opposite problem where like enough people in the industry know who I am you know like there's people there's a lot of people at Blizzard who know who I am right they know of my podcast they know about you know my personality and who I am but like you know I still don't have the 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 technical ability to work there but like if that ever is a case when the technical ability gets there I probably will have a good road into getting a job there because I know so many people there and that's why I said I can't stress it enough about you know, obviously during COVID, this is a different situation, but like when that clears and it goes back to events getting run, you know, go to GDC, go to Lightbox, go to Trojan Horse, you know, go to these events because you will meet people there. You know, like when I got the opportunity to work with Raphael Grizet, you know, like that came from meeting him at THU, striking up a conversation and then, you know, bang, I was helping him on his project. So, you know, like, this stuff will happen if you present yourself. If you just turn up, if you literally just turn up, yep. a lot of these opportunities will just happen because you're standing next to people. So, yeah, yeah 100%. It's, it's one of these things I reinforce with students over and over again. Save your money. Go to an event. You don't have to go to all of them. Just pick one that's closest to you or you feel will be the best investment, you know, if it's GDC, if it's if it's whatever, and then and then go and, and introduce yourself to people, talk to people, show them your portfolio, get feedback and get in the radar. That's the, the biggest thing that's hard as well is just literally putting yourself in front of art managers and saying, I really want to work with you one day. I would love to. What do you think of my stuff? Is it close? Is it, you know, yeah. having that conversation opens so many doors. Oh, so many. And then you, you bring up an interesting point about just physically being there because, you know, when I went to... Uh, GDC in 2018, I, um, I interviewed with several companies and just talked to them. You know, it was Crystal Dynamics, EA, it was, uh, oh gosh, I, I don't remember. There's tons. And yeah. the uh, Creative Assembly, places like that. And people remember you by face. So it's really hard to grab attention of a, a company if they don't know you from. Mm-hmm from a, a stick in the wind and it's like yeah if they know your face like, oh yeah i remember you uh you were a nice person you are good to talk yes. to you know that that yeah. goes a long way and then they'll they'll give you an interview um which is yeah. a farther step than somebody that could possibly be technically better than you that hasn't yeah. heard anything back it's <laughs> so yeah a hundred percent that that was the reason i got my internship at axis in 2017 in 2016 i went to my first event industry workshops in london and i stood in front of the the art director and the the personnel manager and i was like hey i make art and i live like literally next to your studio do you think i could come and see you guys at one point that's how that started literally you know i didn't have any great technical ability i just turned up and said i was interested um and I was one of the first interns they'd had from a university at the time for like five or six years because I physically put myself in the room with them. So, wow. I mean, That's yeah, great. definitely. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, that was great, Bobby. Thanks for coming on and, and, and sharing your journey and, and talking to us about, you know, 
everything basically everything you've talked about i think it's been a great a great uh time for people to listen to about this stuff and, and focus on especially with freelance now because i feel like the whole working from home thing is you know hugely taken off now right and, and yeah, people are, yeah. are focusing on that stuff more so it's definitely it's definitely a, a good subject i think to bring up in this time um any kind of final closing words or any kind of thoughts uh to, to kind of round it out um well thank you for having me it's, uh, it was an honor um it's really exciting oh, to thanks, be here yeah. uh I, yeah, yeah of course i think i think just for freelancing in general um mm-hmm. just don't try not to get intimidated by the work that you see online because it's really easy to just gather reference every day figure out what you love to do and a good a good way to figure out what you love to do is if you wake up in the morning and you have a sketchbook on your table next to you, what's the first thing you would doodle? Whatever that thing would be, whatever subject matter, that's probably what you should pursue. And right. it's just um, ju- just stick with what you love to do because that will get you in the door. And then you could branch out. So instead of loving everything, because I'm totally guilty of this. Like I wanted to do environments. I wanted to do props and characters and, and build out scenes in the unreal engine it's like all oh, this cool stuff it's like you know what you're not going to get to do all that unless you could prove that you could do what you love to do that's monsters yeah. so if you love weapons do it you know yeah that's my advice no i mean yeah and i think pretty solid i think you know i think that's that's why people say it so much is because you know if you're working on a big project and you're in an hour a of that week you know like the fact that you're doing something you love is not going to register with you when you're sitting like, oh, I need to go home or I need to think about, you know, clocking off. You know, you want to do those extra hours because it is something you enjoy. And that's what will get you through those very early years of those long projects, the crunch stuff or the things where you do, you know, the extra hours and you don't want it. The love of it will help you get past those, those really tough times. So, Oh, if I can add yeah. one more thing uh, to go along with that, of course. Um, if you, yep. if you are a freelancer out there, that's having a really hard time with the discipline, just give yourself a schedule. So what I did was I, I, I bought a dry erase board and dry erase marker. And I wrote down uh-huh. the time slots to work on things. So if you only have a two hour window at night after work, cause you're tired, if you have children, you're working full time and you just can't find the energy to do it. You always find mm-hmm. time for what you love to do. So if you really love it, right. you're going to find time. So give yourself 15 minutes here, 30 minutes there to learn something, and then you will get there. Just write it down. Yeah. So that's my other advice. Yeah. Solid as well. I think that's also something that people don't really, I mean, I've, I've definitely been guilty of it is, you know, you sit down in the morning and you're kind of like, right, what am I going to do today? Or, you know, what's the task for the day? How am I going to, you know, balance that out or push it out so it's you know it's in you know a schedule where you feel you're going to get work done and you're not going to sit all day and waste your time so yeah 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 yeah, it's definitely one of the harder things to pull off is especially when you're working from home especially when you don't have a boss or somebody sitting handing you tasks that can be hard try to just figure that out yourself But, uh, but then again what's great about this podcast is like i'll leave all of bobby's details in the description um so you can reach out i think do you have a a discord and stuff like that as well bobby are you running that like compute do you have a patron like what's what's your kind of go to oh, uh, contact details do you have ways of yeah i mean i i don't have a discord right now i just 
I just have my Instagram, um, and then uh, I do have my art station page. So right. those so are like, want to get in contact and ask you questions with just kind of email you or yeah, just Bobby Rebholtz at gmail.com. Um, I do have a gum road also. Uh, okay. I'm in the process of recording a bunch of new tutorials. I do have some up there. They're, they're kind of old, but it just goes over uh, sketching like on paper and how to right. shade and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, if, if anybody's listening now and um, they do want to ask Bobby any extra questions, um, of course, always, as I say, if you're polite, um, you can email him, you know, ask him any questions you want. I'm sure whenever Bobby has time, he'll get back to you sure. um, with any questions that you have. And, uh, and yeah, like we're, we're all people at the end of the day, we've all been through it. So, um, if people even want to reach out to me, I mean, we also have a discord for, for digital art cast. If you guys want to join there, there's people in those discords that will answer questions or, or get in contact with you about feedback for your work. So yeah, they're always handy to have. Uh, so yeah, if you want to join that, I'll leave that. That'll be in the description below as well. Uh, along with Bobby's details and yeah that's it that's really it um, we could probably talk about this extensively for, for a long long time but Bobby has a life to get back to so <laughs> I'll have to get him let him get back to that but uh, but yeah like uh, we'll probably get Bobby on again at one point to talk about more freelance stuff if you guys have any ideas for future episodes or things you want to talk about uh, or have Bobby talk about then uh, leave them down in the comments below and we'll try and address them uh, in the next episode and, uh, and yeah again just to thank Bobby for coming on thank you so um, much for having an honor. me yeah of course man it's an honor as always uh, like I said you were definitely on the bucket list of, of people I wanted to go on here and um, it's always difficult with, with schedules and, yeah. and time zones and it's always a bit of pain but we got there in the end so uh, we did yeah we're here now so yeah um, yeah again thanks to Bobby thanks to you guys for listening um, check down in the description for all the details and uh, I'll speak to you guys later uh, bye everybody bye